welcome to Combustible Podcast. Uh, we've got a little bit of a different exercise today that we're going to do where we don't have a guest, uh, but it's something that the four of us, Shane Dobson, Mike Hatcher, um, Pavel Trosh, and Bill Voris, we end up um, sitting around and doing this, and, and we thought it'd be interesting to do it uh, for you guys so that you could hear, but it's also something that we haven't necessarily discussed uh, in relation to this particular movie. So what we're going to be doing today is talking about the movie Moneyball, which was about uh, the Oakland A's and their use of statistics to uh, try and win, get their way in the World Series, which ultimately didn't work. But most everybody's seen the movie, and we, we chose a movie that we hope most people have seen. And we're going to be talking about it specifically from a leadership perspective and the lessons that we saw in the movie uh, that were leadership-oriented. So, Shane. Yes. What was your, when you watched that movie, what was your moment where you, see, and I, I purposefully went to Shane because he didn't want, he said he had too many before we started, but what was your moment where you, you looked at it and you said, hey, that's, you know what, that's a real leadership moment? <clears throat> that's, I, that's a very good question. Yeah, that is. That's a very good question, Bill. I'm glad you're doing here today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, when, first of all, this this concept talking about the movies came from your thoughts where we were talking about, I think it was you and Hatch talking about how we should put these movies and leadership and the fire department right. and how, how those movies correlate to the fire service. So when Bill said Moneyball was like his... The one that he, you know, had so much, I was like, I totally didn't, I know Moneyball, I like the movie, but I never looked at it from a leadership standpoint. I'd always looked at it from the, I always thought that originally that the the key was that they were looking at how to change baseball from a statistical standpoint, just fundamentally different baseball, not the leadership part of it. So I had to go back and rewatch it with a focus on on the with, specific leadership. With those lenses on. Yeah. And, um, God, it, it, again, there were just so many little points in there that I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of which ones really just stuck out the most for right, me. I'll, I'll start with mine. Oh. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> throw, you, throw you a life, a life jacket. Um, the, I, I still remember watching it the first time and realizing that when uh, Billy Bean's character, the general manager for the Oakland A's, goes to Cleveland to try and repair his team, which has been decimated uh, through players that were basically bought by other teams that could pay more money, he goes there and uh, every time he throws a name out that he might want off of their roster, somebody in the room, Peter Brand, whispers in somebody else's ear and, and then they say, yeah, that person's not available. And after that meeting breaks up, uh, Billy Bean, walking through all those cubicles in their headquarters, walks over to where Peter Brand is and has a, a conversation with him. Hello. Who are you? I'm Peter Brand. What do you do? I'm special assistant to Mark Shapiro. So what do you do? Mostly player analysis right now. Been on the job long? First job in baseball? It's my first job anywhere. Wow, congrats. Thank you. First job. Whose nephew are you? 
Why does Mark listen to you? <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think he does very often. He just did. Well, in that circumstance, I think he was more listening to Bruce than myself. Mm. Who are you? I'm Peter Brand. I don't give a rat's ass what your name is. What happened in there? What happened in that room? I'm not quite sure what you're asking me, Mr. Bean. What did you tell Bruce? Just told Bruce I like Garcia. You like Garcia. Why? Why? And the interesting thing for that that I that I really and I don't do a good job of it, and that's like maybe that's why I, I latched onto it so much, was that Billy Bean recognized that Peter Moran had something to say. He wanted to say stuff. And the most that they're doing in that meeting is listening to him as a, in a whisper. You know, and he even says to Peter Brown in the cubicle, why does Mark Shapiro listen to you? And he says, I don't, I don't think, think he, he does. Very often. Yeah, you know. Uh, Peter he doesn't, just did. Yeah, Peter doesn't think he's being listened to. And the more that Billy Bean tries to get it out of him, what, what is it that you have to tell me? He starts looking around. He's worried that somebody's going to hear him or see him talking to him. And Billy recognizes, you know what? I got to get this guy out of this area. He, he says, come on, turns around and just starts walking. He didn't even check to see if he's following him because he knows this kid really wants to right, talk. Has something to say. He knows he's going to follow him. Cut to them in the in the in the parking garage, and he vomits all this information about what's wrong with the way baseball's being run. So that idea that he recognized, which, like I'm saying, I'm bad at that. I'm bad at recognizing what people need, and this kid needed to be listened to. Do you think that that kid though? What if he had sat on his haunches and didn't recognize the moment? You know what I mean? What if, if, if yeah, he, what if he had not have told? What if he didn't follow Billy yeah. out of the cubicle? Yeah, what area? if he just didn't realize well, and just missed that? I wouldn't have moved yeah. the movie. Yeah, there wouldn't have been a movie. <laughs> but how many people that maybe we do recognize and we ask or we try right. to engage them and they they don't? Right. You know, they miss their, their uh, opportunity. opportunity. Well, that comes into a whole other thing about leadership. is about developing talent. I mean, he spends the entire time mentoring Peter Brand Right. into being his assistant general manager and you know we can go into other details but it'd be talking about you're gonna have to travel with the team and you know you have to interact with them and he actually talks about you know letting one of them go training right. them. how to, yeah how, that was how probably to get rid my, of people. that's probably my impact really that because was, I knew that part had impacted me long ago because we'd had conversations about it right about you know being professionals so, so that, for me that was the most impact, yeah. impactful part too. But it was the fact that he recognized in that room, like you said, all he had to do is skip that little whisper and you don't have a movie. So right. the fact that he recognized that, then the paradigm of bringing this kid, non-baseball, right. bringing him right next to him, knowing the hell he's going to have to pay. It's almost like... The minute that kid whispered into the ear and he went downstairs and says, who are you? No, who are you? That he would, he already developed a plan in his head. Who is this kid? How was he able to do that? And I'm bringing him next to me because he's got something. So he 
Well, I don't think he had a plan, but I think in this same kind of moment, too, for me a little bit, is that he knew he had to think outside the box. Traditional ways was not, not going to solve right his problem. Right He's yep. got a great and, speech yep. at the beginning about that. And so he sat there and looked at, all right, and so when he talked to the kid and he goes in and he vomits all that stuff to him, it's a completely foreign concept. And Billy Bean was open to it. Right. And as a leader, being able to accept change that you're not comfortable with and maybe don't even understand you know, and then I thought the, the key moment is when he calls him. He calls him on the phone, yeah. wakes him up, and he says, uh, would you have taken me? And, yeah. and, and, in the, in the and the kid doesn't really want to say it. Hello? Hey, it's Billy Bean. Hey, what, what time is it? I don't know. Listen. You drafted me in the first round. What? After I left, you looked me up in your computer. Would you have drafted me in the first round? I did, yeah. You, you were a good player. Cut the crap, man. Would you have drafted me in the first round? I'd have taken you in the ninth round. No signing bonus. I imagine you would have passed and taken that scholarship. Yeah. Pack your bags, Pete. I just bought you from the Cleveland Indians. He's litmus testing this kid because he knows himself what happened, why he wasn't, you know, why he didn't perform, why he didn't do things. And does this, he's he's using himself as the litmus test, would you have done on your statistical analysis? I think as a leader, man, that was a huge point True. for him to look at that point and say, all right, I'm going to test him on is this working or would this work based off of what I know about myself. Right. And that was like, yeah, this, I just bought you. Right. Thank you for that XP. It is rare that you'll see you know a leader be that kind of transparent, I think, and think of themselves of that. Right. And put them in the, that kind of situation. That's self-reflection. I mean, that's deep. That is deep. Well, it, let's talk about something else that comes out of that, that discussion, which I, I – uh, I think that there's a ton of honesty in the movie um, that, you know, because he says, would you have taken me in the first round? And, and Peter's first response yes. to that is, oh, you were a great player. Yeah, yeah, he didn't want to. Cut didn't wanna the answer. crap, man. <laughs> yeah. Would you have taken? He's, he's up saying, I'd have taken you in the ninth round with no bonus, yeah. you know. And, and you, you would have gone to you'd college. You would have gone to Stanford, yeah. you know. Uh, so there's that moment. Uh, there's the moment where um, he gives him... House. He gives him the the yeah the, the the player evaluations. He says, "I I, I asked you to do three. three. How many did you do? Forty-seven. Actually, fifty-one. 51. I don't know why <laughs> I lied. I don't know why I lied. <laughs> you know. Uh, but another moment where that honesty comes through. He asks uh, Billy Bean asks Hatterberg, you know, how's your arm? Oh, it's great. And then it within seconds, I can't throw the ball. You know, there, there's all this honesty." Um, just, David Justice asks him, you know, what's your biggest fear of a ball coming in my general direction? You know, no, really. If no, that, no yeah, really. That, that is <laughs> it, you know. So there's all this honesty floating around, and I actually think that that's part of what makes that group of people theoretically work. And I'd say that the question for the group is, is how important is honesty to your ability to lead? I think it's big. And that may have been that transitional trust you know, where it's hard to be honest when you don't trust people. So, they're, you know, they got a little bit of trust. Right. And that, that clearly probably is there to show that developing trust. Now we're becoming a little more honest. Okay, it was 51. I don't really 
really know why I lied there. You know what I mean? That comes right. with that foundation right. of trust. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it, he, he definitely, all of them, they had to trust each other. I mean, you're taking a bunch of unlucky, he called it the Island of Misfit Toys. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> you're taking a bunch of unlucky people, and they have to be honest about what they can do and what they can't do. Uh, and it even played into, you know, the uh, uh, the manager you know, the manager's like, oh, you can't play, you know. Right. And, and it, you know, even even the guys themselves, they, they had lacked confidence. And, you know, it all plays into that. So the more honest they were with them, I do like the part where he says, like, uh, playing first base isn't that hard, is it? And he goes, it's incredibly <laughs> difficult. <laughs> Tell him how easy it is. It's incredibly hard. Yeah. How's the elbow, Scott? You know, it's good. It's really good. It's great. Uh I can't throw the ball at yeah. all. You've thrown your last ball from behind home plate, is what I'd say. Well, Good news is, we want you at first. We want you to play first base for the Oakland A's. Okay, well, I've only ever played catcher. Scott, you're not a catcher anymore. If you were, our call wouldn't have been the only one you got when your contract expired. Yeah, hey, listen, no, I I appreciate it. You're welcome. But the thing the thing is, is uh you don't know how to play first base. Scott? That's right. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him, Wash. It's incredibly hard. So sometimes maybe it wasn't the confidence building that it needed to be a little too much honesty on some of it. Right. So at the beginning of the movie, uh after they lose the uh the division, I guess. They don't go to the World Series. There's a scene where Billy Bean goes to the owner and he says to him, We're not going to do better next year. Why not? Well, you know we're being gutted. We're losing Giambi, Damon, Isringhausen. Done deal. We're in trouble. He'll find new guys. He found Jason. He found Damon. I need more money, Steve. Billy. I need more money. We don't have any I can't compete money, against a $120 million payroll with $38 million. But we're not going to compete with these teams that have big budgets. We're going to work within the constraints that we have, and you're going to get out and do the best job that you can recruiting new players. We're not going to pay $17 million a year to players. I'm not asking you for tens of $20, $30 million. I'm just asking for a little bit of help. Just get me a little bit closer, and I will get you that championship team. I mean... This is why I'm here. This is why you hired me. And I got to ask you, what, what are we doing here? Well, you know, it's not to win a championship. I want to win just that's like my bar. Team. My bar is here. My bar is to take this team to a championship. Billy, we're a small market team and you're a small market GM. I'm asking you to be okay not spending money that I don't have. And I'm asking you to take a deep breath shake off the loss, get back in a room with your guys, and figure out how to find replacements for the guys we lost with the money that we do have. I, I, I'm not leaving here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I can't leave here with that. What else can I help you with? But there's a follow-up conversation when he goes to Cleveland and talks to the other general manager, and the general manager says, where's, you know, where's Steve Schott on all this? Oh, Steve's 100% behind us. You know, he's he's 100% behind rebuilding the team. 
I think we end up in positions, uh, especially as leaders in the fire service, where we end up talking to people and they don't understand maybe where the department's going with something or you end up in a position where you are trying to implement something that you don't necessarily agree with or believe in, right. maybe, you know, and, and uh, Billy had told his owner, we can't do this. It's not possible. But then he's telling somebody else, you know, now, the difference I think that's interesting is, is that telling the, the GM in Cleveland, you're not, you're not going to gain anything by confiding in him that, Right. They're not getting, you know, there's, there's no, that. I think there's a difference between that and one of your own people. Would he have had the same conversation? Would it have gone the same way if he were talking to one of the players on the team? Probably not. I mean, you don't negotiate from a point of weakness. So why would you go in there and say, yeah, we're decimated. We have no right. money. I, you know, hey, who are you going to give me? You know, right. There's no reason for him to play weak in that situation. So, yeah, I would say right. it was a bad situation to be honest but with. But is there, is there an opportunity or do you approach it? If there's something that comes down from above and you've got to put it in place and your guys that look, are looking at you and they're saying, why are we doing this, chief, captain, whatever? Why are we doing this? Do you blindly just say, we are doing this because it's a great idea? Because are you spending all of your trust with them? Are you spending the capital yes. that you have? Or do you say something like, guys, I understand where you're coming from. We, you know, we argued some of this, these points back and forth, blah, 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 blah. And you play it a little bit more. I personally play it that, you know what? Upper management gets to make the decisions. And that decision is their decision. And I'm going to enforce it because we all work for them. Well, wouldn't it be great if you can... And this goes later on to the movie, but, and I agree, you have your upper management that are the vision makers and they create their vision. It's their turn to to develop the organization into what they want to see. But that vision has to be shared, even if not agreed upon. Uh, I think sometimes we can be too quick to go, well, this is what they, the they, 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 they're making all these decisions. They're shoving this down our throat versus saying, you know, the direction that we're going in right now is this. And not that everything requires an explanation, but it'd be nice if you had a understanding. Right. Doesn't have to agree with it. Now when I'm more vocal about disagreeing with it, it doesn't make a difference. But when somebody vocalizes why are we even doing this? I don't understand why we're even doing this. To me, sometimes that's unsettling because it's almost like I can't even have an opinion because I have no idea why we're doing this. Why are we driving backwards? Right. Well, let's talk about that. Then. And I know you can't answer every question. Not every. Not everything no, requires should, a very, response. At the very least, you should be able to give the overall benefit of how it affects the vision and mission of the organization. And we like what we were talking about the statistical information earlier, where we didn't think we were doing, we've done a poor job on explaining why we want right. the statistical information. <clears throat> and, and, and in many ways, I'll agree, we have done a poor job on describing why this important, why this information is important. And I'll, I will try to do better on that. Um, All right, well, so I think what... I totally got... <laughs> 
lost so in that there's a scene between the stroke out a little there's bit. There's a scene yeah. into the season the coffee. <laughs> where Billy goes to Art Howe, the man, the the uh, head coach, and says, I should have made you a bigger part of the conversation from day one. That way it'd be clear what we're trying to do here. That was my mistake. Art, and I take responsibility for that. What are you trying to say? I'm saying it doesn't matter what moves I make if you don't play the team the way they're designed to be played. Billy? You're out of your depth. Why not Hatterberg at first? Because he can't play first. How do you know? Not my first baseball game. Oh, Scott Hatterberg can't hit it's his on defense. Is Still sus- keeps us in the plus column. We only need to be 7 over 500. What? Anything else? But he really doesn't end up explaining it or he apologizes for it. But about two-thirds through the movie... There's a montage, uh, a series of scenes where Billy and Peter are explaining it specifically to those players. Mm-hmm. And that, whether this is just, I, granted all of this is the movie, I don't know how this really played out in real life, but in the movie, that's the point when they start to win. Right. They, they are not winning in the season up until they start to say, you know what, I, you know, the guy says, uh, you pay me to steal bases. He says, no, I don't. I pay you to get on first, not to get thrown out at second. And those kind of conversations, all of a sudden they start winning because people are on board. And I want to say, and I'll probably get lost in this thought again, but I think that's twofold things happen right there in the in the movie. One, they truly start talking about the 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 method to their madness, mm-hmm. so to speak. What how this supports the mission and vision. Obviously that was a huge component. But for me and for um I don't know, who, whoever in the organization would be this, the most, to me, what sticks out is they started to focus on, on players' strengths and not trying to focus on their weaknesses. We right. brought you in for because you do this well. We didn't try to teach you something else. Even though Hatterberg, they brought him in to teach him. Right. But really, they wanted him just to get on base. He he's, he's good at getting on right. base. So, but so they, the point being is during that part and during that, that, from then on, really, they really start focusing on player strengths, what people right. bring to the table well. And they don't talk about so much about what you don't do well. We're, I think sometimes we get that backwards where we think, man, i got to start working on the weaknesses. And really, mm-hmm. you need to be working on your strengths. Put a little time in your weaknesses, but that's not what got you right. through the game. Right. So, what do you yeah, think? And as an organization, too, because I try to wrap my mind around it going – that organization will be the equivalent of a small department. And then somebody's going, yeah, but when you have a thousand people, there's still a chain of command where if everybody plays their role and you're playing to their strength, just like you're saying, you know, are your divisions, do they have a clear understanding what the vision is and that communication taking place? Are they bringing it down? So everybody has a role to play in this whole thing with the communication and the trust. Unfortunately, when you have such a large organization, all it takes is one of them to break that link and then you could lose that communication, that trust going, you know, downhill. So from the top, your organization that says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start using statistics. This is how we came up with these numbers. We're going to do, I'll use an example. I think it was LA that started using that, uh, that model where they would uh, move their apparatus based on statistical need right. for the seasons. Well, if you don't send that information down flowing. Well, now I had a, a rescue, a squad, an engine, and a truck, and now we're broken down to a truck company and a squad in my station. They're just taking our stuff. So 
if the information flows downstream, I think it helps. But all and unfortunately, often all it takes is one person to be bitter about it too. You're always going to have the individual. It doesn't matter how much sense it makes, how much logic there is behind it. They're going to oppose it no matter what. But that does, shouldn't stop us from communicating what it is that we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it so everybody has an understanding. Even if they don't agree, right. at least you can say it's been communicated. So what do you all think of the scene, and there's a couple times this happens, but where Billy comes into the room with all the scouts because he's got his, his experts. Big, fast, talented. Top of my list. Clean cut, good face. Yeah, good job. Five tools guy. Good looking ball player. Can he hit? Yeah, he's got a beautiful swing, right, Barry? The ball explodes off his bat. He throws the club head at the ball, and when he connects, it he drives it. It pops off the bat. You can hear it all over the ballpark. A lot of pop coming off the bat. And if he's a good hitter, why doesn't he hit good? He is a good hitter. Minor he'll be he'll be ready. Yeah, so he's going to be a good hitter when we put him up against big league guys. Could be a great hitter. I don't think so. This kid this needs some at-bats. You give him 400 at-bats, he's going to get better. He can play. He's hit everywhere along the line. One of our guys. Okay, let's move on. Artie, who do you like? I, I like Perez. He's uh, got a classic swing. He's real clean stroke. I don't know. Can't hit the curveball. Well, there's some work to be done, I'll admit that. Yeah, but there is. Uh, he's noticeable. Got an ugly girlfriend. What's that mean? Ugly girlfriend means no confidence. Okay. Oh, no, you guys are full of it. Artie is right. This guy's got an attitude. An attitude is good. I mean, it's the kind of guy walks into a room. His dick has already been there for two minutes. Yeah, he passes the eye candy test. He's got the looks. He's ready to play the part. He just needs to get some playing time. I'm just saying. His girlfriend is a six at best. Look, if we're trying to replace Tiafi, this guy could be it. I agree. Damn, Billy, was that a suggestion? Guys are just talking. Talking la 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 like this is business as usual. It's not. We're trying to solve a problem here, Billy. Not like this, you're not. You're not even looking at the problem. We're very aware of the problem. I mean, okay, good. What's the problem? Look, Billy. We all understand what the problem is. We have to okay, replace... Okay, good. What's the problem? The problem is we have to replace three key players in our nope. lineup. What's the problem? Same as it's ever been. We've got to replace these guys with what we have existing. No. Nope. What's the problem, Barry? We need 38 home runs, 120 RBIs, and 47 doubles to replace. The problem we're trying to solve is that there are rich teams and there are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. It's an unfair game. And now we've been gutted. Organ donors for the rich. Boston's taking our kidneys. Yankees taking our heart. And you guys are sitting around talking the same old good body nonsense like we're selling jeans. Like we're looking for Fabio. We got to think differently. We are the last dog at the bowl. You see what happens to the runt of the litter? He dies. Really, that's a very touching story and everything, but I think we're all very much aware of what we're facing here. You have a lot of experience and wisdom in this room. Now, you need to have a little bit of faith and let us do the job of replacing Giambi. Is there another first baseman like Giambi? No, not really. No. And if there was, could we afford him? No. Nope. Then what the fuck are you talking about, man?
You know, these are his experts in the game. They're the, the people who know the players, who know how to field a team, and they're giving him advice, and he's saying, you know what? No. Um, I, I don't know. It's a little – and I do like the point where the oldest scout in the room says uh, – and I wrote it down. He says – He answers to no one. Well, he says <laughs> – uh, To God and ownership. That's yeah. right. Or ownership. He says, God. I think we have to remember this is the man. He answers to no one except ownership and God. He doesn't have to answer to us. We make suggestions. He makes decisions. So when he says that, what's your perception of that individual? Because that was a uh, – when I'm looking at the movie, that was pretty big for me. That was a senior man. Right. I'll never forget it. You know, it's a year and aid. This guy's been around for an eternity. And for, for me, he almost threw that grenade in the middle of the table going – Guys, you may forget who you're talking to here, but this is the head boss here. But how important would that be at a company level to have your senior guy support what you're doing oh, when you get them yes. on the same page? It's I mean, critical. it didn't really work so well in this. I mean, they a few of them mutinied, and that's always going to happen probably. But I think that's a great another leadership point is this guy is basically you know clearing the air and saying, listen, guys, I get it. We don't like this, but this, this is the route we're going. Right? So the way I saw that particular moment was – He's giving you an opportunity that he doesn't have to give you. This is the head honcho. He can walk off the table, make whatever decisions he wants. You're in the room. You're on the table. There's discussion. And so when that guy steps up and says that, it's almost, to me, it's almost that humbling grenade going, hey, this is the boss here. He, he, he could take their voice away from them. Yeah, but, I mean, kind of going back, uh, backtrack a little bit. I think it's a poor leadership on Billy Bean, Brad Pitt's character, uh, was the not to communicate it. He kind of mm-hmm. had more of the leadership mindset of, you do as I say, you don't question it. Oh, for I, sure. You know, and, and I think that causes a lot of issues. You know, you kind of do need to explain why you're doing things and take into account right. how it's going to affect these guys. I think he learns that. Right. That, yeah, I, that's I great. Too. You know, yeah. and I've talked to many of new officers before, and I said, you know, I wish it was as simple to say, I'm a professional, you're a professional, I'm going to do my job, and I expect you to do yours. It is never that simple. Right. We all have different things that motivate us and get us interested, and you, it can be exhausting trying to figure each individual out. You know, let's say you have five direct reports. Each one of them has different triggers and motivators, and you have to figure what, what works for each one of those. Right. So why, I think his name is Grady in the movie, uh, the, head, the head scout. Why do you think he argues so vehemently? For the scouts' abilities and to disregard the the statistical, I think their 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 existence is in question. Exactly, I agree, one hundred percent. I agree. Right, they're you are challenging their jobs. Right. Well, I mean, it goes back to it's tradition. You know, right. It's everything. So it's the same thing with fire service. You know, we have to. You know, you're talking about uh, hit it hard from the yard. You know, this studies whatever. We're challenging the way that we've done it in the past because things have changed so much. You know, right, and, and so people just get so locked in of like this has always worked. This is always the way we. Why would it. we change it? Right. Well, things have are changing around us. You know what they build things out of, and you know, right. they, you know, hydrocarbons. Everything is being changed. We have to change how we how we do things. It's not the same game. He has that great little speech with the the scouts where he says, you know, you're you're looking at this from the wrong way. There are there are these teams. And then there are the poor teams. <laughs> then there's fifty feet of crap. 
And then there's <laughs> us, you know. Now that's not exactly an inspiring speech. No, it's not. You know, you're not gonna. Nobody's gonna be, you know, congratulating you on a, on a great leadership moment. But I think he is being realistic, and his approach is to say, "You guys are looking at this from, you know." And I, there's a there is a great moment where he says, uh, "You're still trying to replace Giambi. Mm-hmm. Is there another Giambi? Right. No." Well, then why are you trying to, you know, you can't do it. Exactly. So why are we talking this way? we got to look at it from a completely different perspective. Well, and think about for a fire service. You know, we have smaller budgets. We do more with less. I mean, these are the same type of challenges we face all the time. And we go back historically and look at, you know, oh, well, you know, 10 years ago they were doing this and they were doing, I wish we could be, you know, fighting that much fire and stuff. It's changed. There is no going back. Right. It's progressing. It's constantly moving forward. And, you know, just like I said before, when did we ever think we'd be carrying bulletproof vests and, and ballistic helmets on fire trucks? And we yeah. do now. I mean, we're constantly evolving, and we have to be ready for that change. I mean, it's great that uh, we, you know, we want to do, you know, fight the fires of yesteryear. It, it's just not going to happen that way right. anymore. It's just not. And you guys have to come to grips with that. And, that's, and it's not a, a betrayal of tradition. No, no. We're, we're not talking about giving up. You know the the traditions that are inherent in the in the profession, but you have to accept that there's a a certain level of uh, change, and it you know it, it's got to be that way. Uh, something that hadn't come up that uh, I was it actually kind of interested me that nobody's brought it up yet is the conversation between Billy and David Justice in the batting cage. Mr. Justice, had a few thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Can you teach me some things. Excuse me? Never seen a GM talk to players like that, man. You never seen a GM who was a player? Huh. We got a problem, David? Nah, it's okay. I know your routine. It's patter. It's for effect. But it's for them. Alright? That shit ain't for me. Oh, you're special. You're paying me seven million bucks a year, man, so... Yeah. Maybe I am. A little bit. No, man, I ain't paying you seven. Yankees are paying half your salary. That's what the New York Yankees think of you. They're paying you three and a half million dollars to play against them. Where you going with this, Billy? David, you're 37. How about you and I be honest about what each of us want out of this? I want to milk the last ounce of baseball you got in you. And you want to stay in the show. Let's do that. Now, I'm not paying you for the player you used to be. I'm paying you for the player you are right now. You're smart. You get what we're trying to do here. Make an example for the younger guy. Be a leader. You can do that. All right. I got you. We're cool. We're cool. And oh yeah, it's an interesting, and I think I. This might be, I might be wild off base, but if, if somebody was to say Moneyball and leadership, 
I think a lot of people immediately would think, oh, well, yeah, there's that scene in the batting cage. Now, I think there's a whole lot more in the movie, but right. that, it definitely stands out. But what do you guys think about that scene? Because it's, I think there's, a, I think there's the obvious, and then I think there's some nuance to it, you know, where it's not. There's some subtle things that are happening. Well, it's, it's the obvious of you know, you're the informal leader of the team. You're seen as the senior, the the accomplished guy, and I need you to be on board with what you're doing. I need right. you to be the on field leader. Right. You know, he's he's trying to develop that informal leader. But they had to have a very trusting moment before that. Oh, there's there's just honesty right, right. there. I mean, it cuts to the bone. Here's what I want out of you, right. and here's what you want out of me. And now that we've both acknowledged that, we can actually move forward and get something done, you know. But that that moment of, um, you know, and and you can just he, I, the guy playing David Justice almost seems like he kind of deflates a little bit. Yeah, like there's yeah. this like reality just oh, got a hold boy. of him too. You know, yeah, he's right. Golly, you know. Well, he was very honest with him. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. He was just straightforward and honest with him. Almost like he, he, he took some value away cruel? and gave him a different type of value. Is it cruel? I don't know. I it's don't honest. Think so. If you did that to one of the firefighters in your station, you got a you got a twenty seven year firefighter captain. You're a battalion chief, and you go to him and you let's say, be "Let's be honest with one another." Here's what you want. You don't want to be bothered for the next three years, and here's what I want out of you. Are they going to receive that well? Depends on the way. I actually did something very similar to that just not too long ago. <laughs> you moneyballed huh? I you did. Money I did moneyball it. Uh, but you know, it's, it's specific to the individual. I mean, it depends on. Me and this individual have a great relationship. We've been friends so for a long trust. time. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I, I played back to an earlier scene when Billy Bean, or Brad Pitt's character, comes in and he's going to kind of like rally the troops, you know. It is the yeah, worst it is. It is speech <laughs> ever. Yeah, you might it. not think you're a winning team. Everybody, listen up. You may not look like a winning team. But you are one. So, play like one tonight. But you, but you are. So go out there and so go out but there for and, him. Yeah. Well, and because he, he he mentions earlier in the movie about he doesn't travel with the team because he doesn't want to get friendly with them. He may right. have to cut them. Blah 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 blah. Well, not having that engagement hurts him bringing this team together as they're relying on each other. And I think he figures it out when he starts trying to talk to David Justice about. You know, being the on-field leader, he, he's now being a little bit more direct. So I was able to have that conversation with this guy because we do have a relationship, right? You know, and I was pretty blunt with him and was like, you know, this, this is the end for you. And I, I'm not asking for specifics, but I mean, it went well. It, you got the result that you needed, or uh, well, it remains to be seen. I mean, it, okay. it's not going to so happen. This is recent, day. recent. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I got you. But do you I think that it, it helps that that is an expectation from most knowing? your character traits and how you are that you're going to be just forthcoming bold with yeah. what you have to say uh, that's the feedback I usually get back is people usually tell me that you know that's the whole thing is Hatch is going to be pretty straightforward and tell you there's no hidden stuff to it I'm, I'm going to tell you what I think because Don't I know for him he, he kind of walks in there and he does that speech where for a lot of us we can go that was just a horrible walk through there and you guys can be winners but since he never truly engages, 
And th- that little moment of engagement was awkward. It was awkward, but it was like, wow, he's here. Because he never engages. Yeah, so right. he took an engagement. For us, it's a little bit different because we're, we're kind of engaged. But for him, I think it had an, it did have an impact, although it wasn't a grand speech because he showed up. I think, and prior to that, he never showed up. I well, think, with the exception of throwing the coolers around when this is what losing right. sounds like, which I actually <laughs> really like that moment a lot. And maybe That's we, losing. you know, because that was a very bold moment for him. And yeah. I thought, that almost passed by it, too. Why, it don't, yes. why don't those players at that time, they're in there having a party. They just lost a game. They're dancing, listening to music. They're not invested in the team. Why aren't they invested in the team? They see they've got a team without any real promise. Right. They don't understand the vision. They probably think that they've only got this season. They'll they'll go through their contract and then they'll move no on to something what else. Expe- what the expectations? Why would are you expect them to be interested in whether or not the team? But wins? even if they did, even if they thought they're part of a team, uh, if you don't have a full understanding, so for us, we go out to a structure, and we've kind of had these discussions in the in the past to what's successful and unsuccessful. You know, you can have a great successful attack and lose a structure. But everybody did everything right and you did everything you could. And then you could do everything wrong and have a positive outcome where you actually save the structure. So for these guys are all sitting in there. And to me, it was almost like he brought the reality of the expectations ago. It was a huge moment for me when he walks in there, he pitches a fit and he says, this is what losing sounds like. I think that's a critical role that the command staff plays in, not to that level, but in are you setting the standards, the guidelines the line in the sand to what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. That's managing expectations. Period. That's it. Right. So he was very clear that you will not celebrate a loss. <laughs> right. And he goes further than that because he gets rid of uh, Jeremy Giambi after that. Just yes. immediately because he's such a distraction to yeah. what they're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. because this guy's celebrating win. I don't want somebody on my team that celebrates winning. He, right. he How difficult. Think about it from our perspective and our organization, the way government works. How difficult is is it to make a stance like that? It is for him, too. And he made it. But how difficult is it for us to walk into that room, know what the problem is or what's feeding that problem, and to take that type of action where like he did? I think did. it's not as big a problem as we've made it out to be. I've actually done this too. But and the reason I say that, <laughs> it, it's not. It's not I'm not saying get rid of people like that kind of problem. But what I'm saying is, is I think we, uh, lots of times we either don't develop individuals or we probably just don't develop individuals to, to enough to know. And I'll go back to that managing expectations. You just don't define the expectations. Period. We just don't. And and I think we do a poor job in the whole movie. I think that's what they're doing. He defined expectations with David Justice. He defined expectations with art. He had to be a little more forceful with art and take some things yeah. out of the way. He painted them into a corner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the whole point was he was getting to the line of expectations. This is what I'm willing to deal with. Right. So he even told Art, I can do this talk. all day. Yeah. Let, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about art for just a second. Um, so uh, once they start winning... There's a scene, it's a very short scene, but Peter and Billy... Philip Seymour Hoffman, right? Or yes. Seymour Hoffman. Yes. The, the, the man, or the, the coach. But Peter and Billy are in the office, and the game's on the TV, and one of the commentator, the commentators is making the comment that Art Howe 
given this horrible roster of players, has somehow managed to turn this team around. And Peter says to Billy, you know, did you just hear that? And Billy's response is, I heard seven in a row. So there's a, a this is one of my favorite quotes. It's it's a Jesuit priest said it 200 years ago, but he says a man may do an immense deal of good if he does not care who gets the credit for it. And that's something that personally I struggle with all the time. I don't want credit. I, I really I, I'll you do stuff. Not. I'll, well, no, but I mean I'll do stuff all day without credit. But if somebody else takes credit for what I've done, then yeah, I blow a gasket. You know, I don't. I'm fine working in the background up until somebody else claims that they did the work that I actually did. And then that's where it falls apart. Billy doesn't have a problem with that. Billy's totally results-oriented, and I admire him for that because I wish I wasn't the way that I was. All he hears is seven in a row. Do you think that that has to do with pride, or he is just so focused on the overall vision I think he's that focused. how it gets there, it, it's really irrelevant. I think he's focused he's, he's, in results. In the end, the people that there are people who recognize that he was the reason. The Boston owner, you know, he's not trying to hire Art Howe. He doesn't pull Art Howe in to say, I want you to, to, to coach my team. It's He wants Billy Bean in there. Well, it's a, and it's unfortunate, I think, in, in a lot of professions and ours too, that we really don't recognize the greatness of a person until they're gone. And that's just kind of in life almost. Everybody wants to come out and this person was, you know, an amazing whatever after they're gone, either not longer, no longer in that position or no longer with us. And, you know, we should do a better job of recognizing that greatness while it's here. Right. There's a great line in the movie where, uh, and I don't remember who says it, it's actually... You got to fill me in here now because I'm lost. They kind of went to a weird quiet there for a second, so we can change our left. I'm sorry. (laughs) There's it's a happened great, to me twice already, so <laughs> I can't. I got nothing. There's a great line in the movie, and I don't remember who says it because it's done as a, a voiceover over some other stuff. But it, it it says people are overlooked for a variety of biased reasons and perceived flaws, age, appearance, personality. Oh, it's when they're talking about. Yeah, it's Peter uh, He's talking about the weird Bradford, pitcher. Yeah, the pitcher. Um, you're right. It's Peter. Uh, so, what's the lesson in how we build teams at the station? And within your battalions and things like that, you know, how how much do we fall victim to sizing somebody up and saying, "Oh, you know, you walked in the first two times you saw somebody and they were sitting in the recliner." God, you, I think that's been, almost how we uh, the original the first take of the movie when they're at the table talking about people and they are talking about personal oh yeah, Golly. views of well you know he, he just doesn't have a six girlfriend he doesn't have a six girlfriend right that somehow shows a lack of confidence that somehow relates to what kind of a ball player he is he's got a six well, girlfriend well do we not do <laughs> oh we do some it all of the same the thing in the fire service Sure, oh, I'm sure. Instead of going humans. in there and, and it, so we, I think we do a great deal of that in the fire service of how we put teams together or stations right. together or so whatever together. At what point do we as leaders start to look at, like you said, look at them. They, you know, in the movie, Billy gets a few more players, but he's still working with the base team that he was given from the previous year. Nothing's really changed there. And it's back to that idea of concentrating on, okay, given what I've got, where are the strengths? What can I work with on each of these people to say, this is what I, I, you do this really well, I need you to do more of this. We're all given basically a hand of cards 
with with the people that we work with, mm-hmm. you don't get to choose the cards. Most of us don't get to choose those cards. You get dealt a hand, and it's how are you going to play your hand? You know. I think I, you got you have to have a uh, a really good team around you of, of trustworthy people to decipher that hand from the upper management level. So, right, so you don't have that. Well, well then, then if you don't have that, that means you I can't be you, successful. I mean, because no, that's his situation. You can, but what he what what I think you have to do is, and again, Billy demonstrates a lot of self reflection that I think is important in all leaders, and that and that you and I think you have to train this because I wasn't I didn't do this well early in my career that you think for the best for for the for your team to be the best it needs to look and act like you. That, that's kind of the default how you start. But you have to say and you have to realize that diversification is important. And I'm not talking about diversification from the standpoint of you're black, I'm right, white. Right. You're, that, Male, I'm talking female, bigger than that. I'm right. talking all the little intricacies of, of uh, diversification. You know, we're in a we, we operate in a fire service that brings a lot to the table now, whether it's hazmat, EMS calls, fire calls, active shooter, there's just so much going on. You really need to start thinking about teams and who brings what. What strengths again right. do they bring to the table? That's what your teams need to be built built like. You know, you could have this firefighting machine, and I'm all for it. But the reality is that may not be all they're introduced to. Right. Go ahead, Hatch. I see a little smirk coming. I used to tell all the the, the new. I want to. Oh, yeah, no, no, let's not interrupt right. Hatch right here. Let's see where this might go. I was trying to save him because I don't know where this is going. No, no, it's okay. Well, you're right. I, and I, I know I, I feel what you might be aiming, but go ahead. All right. So you're talking about building these teams, but a lot of these company officers, a lot of these battalions, you don't have the ability. It's just what Trevor says. This is the hand that you're dealt. So how do you still be successful with the hand that you dealt? You can't change your players. But you can know, but you can know who they are, and then you can start then working on the strengths. That's what I was going to say. It's about that personal engagement that you have with them, figuring out what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. But you, I see a lot of times people want to be detached and be, you know, from afar. Uh, you know, let's let's uh, wait let's for that do, person to come to them. Right. Let's do webcam uh, meetings as opposed to going to all the stations or stuff like that. That is not going to have you engaged with that individual. And I've t- said before, you know. I may have a firefighter or an officer who uh, is not the greatest, is not the strongest leader or whatever, and I could take them to the drill yard and I could run drills with them and the crew for weeks on end. First of all, I don't really have the time to do that. I have other things to do, but will that make them better? Maybe, but most likely not. But I can develop a personal relationship with that individual where it's now Hatch and Captain. And they will feel bad about letting me down on a scene. I may get more out of them from that than I can from having them right. run some type of drill. So let's. I want to keep going with that engagement because uh, there's a scene where I wanted to add something else, but I'm well, then do it. No, it's okay. All right. So <laughs> when they go to talk to Scott Hatterberg, who is the catcher who can't throw anymore, and they want him to play first base, incredibly easy. Yes. They go, to, they go to his house, and they go unannounced. They call him. Will you let us in? We're outside. Right. How important is it that they actually go to his house to make him the offer? They could have picked up a phone. They, could have, his agent. they could have called his agent. Mm-hmm. How important is it? And I think it, it, it actually hinges a little bit on 
just what they're trying to sell. In other words, if I told you what we want you to do, if I, if I called your agent, that, that message of what I'm asking you to do is going to get watered down, is going to get altered in some way. That agent might call you and say, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard, but Oakland wants you to come play first base. Well, you're, you're not going to do it now. What the hell's going on across We're, the we're taping it at the X Games, apparently. <laughs> Got motorcycles going as hard. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, did they? was there a conscious thought of, you know what, this is so outlandish, we need to just go talk to him? Or is it a, you know what, we really need this guy. We need him bought into it. Yeah. I want to go talk to him in, in person. And, and do you do those things over the phone? Do you go no, engage you that person? That. And it, But, I mean, at a station level. You know, but one of the things I think that you the, should. the movie does is it brings to light the fact that every single thing that was done had an effect on how it turned out. Right. So, without question, going to the house had some type of effect on how everything turned out. Every little thing that we do will have a consequence on what the end game is. So. I think sometimes we do things a little bit haphazardly and we get into a role of we have to get so much done. So, yeah, I think that played a huge role going to that house. I don't know if that was a tactical thought out, this is why we're going to do it and this is how we're going to engage in it. But we really do need to look a lot of uh, into what we do as how are you going to deliver this message. It's not just going out there and delivering a message. How are you going to deliver this message because it's going to have a huge impact on the outcome. Right. And for me, that, that that's a lot of what the movie impacted me with was everything that was done and how it was done led to the outcome. Not just one single thing, with the exception of the beginning. If he did not recognize that uh, whisper, none of this probably would happen. But from that point forward, it seemed like every single thing from the going in there and saying, this is what losing sounds like, to walking into that house and delivering that message personally like that. And even the other guy saying, it's extremely hard. All of that plays a huge role in it. Right. So using uh, the guy that came up with this whole idea, which is called Sabermetrics, which I did some reading on, and Saber is actually an acronym. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what it is. But the guy's name was Bill James, and he worked at a uh, sausage factory or something. He was like a, um, a night watchman. or I mean, he, you know, he wasn't in baseball, and he writes a, a book. Guard, right? Yeah, and um, his theories and applying them to baseball at the time is ridiculously unpopular. You know, one of the scouts even says, "You're not buying into this Bill James bullshit, are you?" I mean, that's what everybody in baseball thinks. At the end of the film, the Boston owner says to uh, Billy Bean when he's basically offering him a job, he says, "The first guy through the wall always gets bloody, always." What's the difference between somebody breaking through a wall and somebody repeatedly bloodying themselves on a solid wall that's just never going to, you know? Does the person know it? Before you break through the wall, you know what I mean? Wow, We've got those people in our department, and I might be one of them, that just will not let something go. And just keep on and keep on. And until you break through the wall, nobody's going to look at you and go, oh, you're a visionary. You know? You saw it, and no one else did. Most of that time, we look at you going, why does that guy keep running into the wall like that? You and know? we do that a lot, I think. You know, We're we often right say, now. hey, stop beating your, so- your head against a wall. You're just going to end up with a headache. 
okay, but I mean, and I, I heard this example one time, and I actually thought it was pretty good. You know, so a fire chief should stop asking uh, for raises because they got no one time. Right. You yeah. don't want them to when do you, that. So that you, you want stop. them to stay consistent, you know, and so we should stay consistent. But I often see, you know, firefighters give up. It's never going to get better. It's never going to get better. Well, so, you know, and but how do you how do you come to work every a, day with that type of mentality? There is a difference between getting bloody doing it and dying. I think sometimes people want somebody to die running into the wall. You know what I mean? We can again, we could be a lot better tacticians of how we do stuff because sometimes it's just simply timing. So I don't think quitting is the option. I don't think going, hey, I'm I'm going to stop. I'm not going to be as tenacious. I'm I'm not going to keep trying to get through this wall. But having some reflection and some tactic to go right now is not the time to fall in the sword. Two three months later. That may be the time where we just, it's almost like we built this uh, muscle memory robotic manner of just continually hit hit that wall, hit that wall, hit that wall. Uh, I just think that maybe we could sit back, and I'm talking to myself here, but you could sit back, take a good look at it and go, am I going to have a little bit more? Is this a timing thing? Because sometimes it's just flat out timing. All right, so... And I guess maybe hitting the wall thing. I, 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 I'm struggling with this a little bit. Um, so why couldn't you dig under it, climb over it, walk around it? I mean, just because the wall's there, the one aspect is not the only way to approach it. And that's kind of the point, I guess, is well, if you I, keep doing the same thing over again and it's not working, you expect different results. That's the yeah, definition I don't think that's where that conversation yeah, I don't was going. Well, well I, I, I know, I know. but So the way I'm looking at it is him, the GM, has this. Which one? The Boston GM? Billy. Billy. Or Billy. 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 Okay. Has this grand idea to bring this statistics guy from Yale. No, no. I think the problem is he has a problem. He needs to think outside the box of a way to solve this problem. I gotcha. And that's... We all have... We all know there's a million problems. Right. And he has the solution, right? Or what he thinks possible is possible solution. solution. But he is hitting a wall because nobody feels that this is the, the actual solution. This is nuts. All right, so stop right there for a second. So that goes back to when we talked before. Are you a leader if you have nobody following you? And at that point, none of the scouts are on board. Nobody on well, the radio is on board. He's got one person following him. He's got one person kind of leading him, influencing him. This, this, this guy's not a baseball guy either. He went to Yale. He took a, a degree in economics. I, I mean, yeah, he's not a baseball guy, so he's not, he's not traditionalist. It's kind of them. T- and he said something about uh, we're in this to the end. Or it's you and me, Pete. Right, it's you yeah. and me. Right. So that, that was my point. Being is sometimes leaders, especially at this point, when we get to the whole concept of uh, you're not a leader if nobody's following you. I don't always agree with that I, because I, there's a point when you have to be an innovator and you have to try to go through that wall or take those arrows or get bloodied. But you right. before you can't exist for long. No, no, no. You can't. You can't. You're you in a vacuum. Gotta get and I'm agreeing. I agree with what you're saying, Hatch. And I've used that several times where I say, "Well, if you're by yourself, you ain't leading." But I do agree with you that sometimes an innovation. You know, there's the other side of it where they say being a leader could be a very lonely place. Sure. And, and when you're being innovative and you're going... It's the head that wears the crown. Yep. So I think you can come to a place... So let's just for argument's sake say that he continued to, to drive. And that losing, that losing streak continued and continued. You are so passionate, so hell-bent that this is going to work. This is correct. And, and we've all been in that place. 
this fire is going to go out. This fire is going to go out. And then eventually <laughs> the, the fire service going. is in this place right now. When you yes. finish, I'm going to I'm going to give you my correlation here. Okay, so for me, I, there's two different places, but I'm saying there may be a place where you stop to re-engage later. I'm not saying quit. I'm not saying you're not a leader. Uh, he did the right thing, like earlier. Everything that was done obviously led to it. But there was a point there where he really didn't have a following. And then because he was tenacious enough to stay on it and he was so passionate about it and he's so convinced, he changed the game. Yeah. And I think that ultimately is what the what the statement is about. The first guy through the wall is always the bloodiest. He talks about he made it through the wall. He's not talking about hitting the wall. He he's gone through the wall. He's Correct. always blessed. He's the one that's going to take the most criticism of what just happened. Because now that you've broke through the wall, that doesn't mean that this You're is going to be successful. Right. You just right. you've right. just broken the wall down. You've broken down the the what the the norms of of whatever happened. And I think the fire service is dealing with this exact same thing right as we speak. And that is the UL studies. Those guys are getting bloody right now because they are changing the shift of of the wall. They that they're they're they have busted through right, wrong, or indifferent. They're getting bloodied up. Mm-hmm. That I think we're dealing with that right now in the fire service. Sure. Yeah. But, but there's no doubt it's going to change the fire service. But that UL data. I mean, how many years are we into that now? I can't even remember from when we talked to. Well, it has changed the fire service. Yes, it has changed the fire service because it's a topic that's constantly being discussed and argued about. It's changed the fire service. Yeah. All right. They've taken a beating. Mm -hmm. So when uh, Billy trades off the players, his coach won't play the team the way that it, it has to be played to work with what his vision is. He trades off the players. So that the, the coach, best player on the team, but yeah, the, the, an all star. He's an all star, Dave. <laughs> uh, he trades those players off to force the coach into playing the way that he he's supposed to play them. And of everybody, he loses that one person. He had Peter. Peter and uh, Peter's following him. Peter's the one that speaks up and says, "Don't do this. You you know this is uh, you know do not do this." How important is it for a leader to have that one person who can tell him you're wrong? He didn't end up being wrong, but all right. What if you'd listen to him? I'm not. It's not. A, I'm not talking I about. That, this. I think the point there is how important is that leader to be committed? Well, I'm. I want to. I think you have to have that person who can who is there to say, "Hold on a second. I don't know that you thought this all the way through," and somebody that. That leader trusts, and they might not. They they could end up continuing, you know. And that that person that offered that advice isn't going to abandon them when they go. Well, shit, he's going to go down that road. And I'm I'm no longer on the boat. I'm getting off. Peter was still there with him, but I th- I think you have to have that person. Do you each have somebody that can come to you and say anything? Yes, and they often do. And, and maybe <laughs> they're sitting at the table. They're sitting at the table. <laughs> and you know what? It may be from personal experiences, professional experiences, but I think it is critical to have that person. Critical. I think there's a, and you know, Shane, you have said, you, and I, I bring it up all the time. You said to me a few years ago, you make a lot of your own problems. Sorry about that, buddy. <laughs> 
Well, no, I mean, but you're absolutely right. And I remember it because I think, you know what, you're, I, I'm complaining about being in a certain situation, but I made this. This is my doing. It didn't have to be this way. I made it this way, and now I'm in the situation. And So I think having somebody there who can say those hard things to you that, that you know, and every once in a while somebody will say to me, you're not, you might not like how this is going to, sound well shit now we know you know <laughs> here it goes but you have to have that i think you if have to have it but it, it you know if you have somebody that you trust and especially in our business where you know you're going to get into all kinds of whether it's political financial promotions and all this kind of stuff i think it's critical to have someone whom you trust that you know that opinion or that advice is not loaded with anything else upset your best interest. Yeah, that's a good point. Because if it comes from the wrong person, obviously you're not going to heed that advice. But I think it is, and I could speak only for me, but I would venture to say that that is something that I absolutely have to have is someone within the organization and outside of the organization that you can trust that's going to give you an opinion but is not going to be preloaded with how they're going to benefit from it. They're just looking out for your welfare. Right. Doesn't mean I have to heed the advice or the you know or anything like that, but you know at least it's coming from from the right place. Right. Hatch, you look like you might not be. On. I'm, I'm both. I mean, just like I said, I mean he he trusted Peter Brand, and Peter Brand was basically telling him, you know, don't do this. You know, don't, this is the kind of thing that gets people fired and blah 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 blah. And he's like, I'm committed. I'm staying. So. Yes, I think it's great to have somebody that will tell you the truth and tell you what they honestly think, but you have to have the strength to be committed. Well, but, and I also, I see at the end of that conversation, Billy tells Peter, I think it's, what is it? I think it's a mistake that you think that we have to explain ourselves. Don't. And I don't agree with that. I don't either. He he makes mistakes all through that. Wow, that's that's wrong, wrong, wrong. I totally agree. You know, where does growth come from? Growth comes from making mistakes. Right. Right. But I can, you know, I can remember going to a, 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 a confidant of mine and basically asking him a question about how do I do a certain thing, and he said, uh, "Yeah, I'm going to advise you not to do that." And I said, "No, no, you you misunderstood what I said. I wasn't asking your permission. I just want to know how to do it." <laughs> and then later it worked out, and he used that as an example of great leadership and things you could do. And I'm thinking to myself, "You told me not to do it." <laughs> yeah, but it was the concept, <laughs> right? But I mean, that's what I'm saying. If you stay committed and you feel, you know maybe pure or that what you're doing is right even when people don't understand it it's okay maybe to keep going to stay you know stay on that path but it is good to have that that counterbalance the three of you constantly challenge me on you know you know Hatcher, that was a dick move and you know that makes me feel bad when you guys tell me that does it really doesn't stop me from doing no, it I was gonna say, <laughs> clearly it's not a bad well, thing I assure you I think that being committed like that has to come with you're willing to suffer if if you were that committed and it doesn't work out, you yeah. gotta own it. Yeah, you can't just you know. Oh, nah, I wasn't doing that. that I mean, be, you know, how I mean. much of leadership would you like to see in that in people right. of stick sticking to their convictions? I mean, how often do we see in regular life, not even just fire department, but regular life, people not sticking to what they're convicted to do? You know, they, they placate to, you know, the lobbyist or, you know, whatever's going on. And you want a leader who's going to say, you know what, I think this is the right thing to do. For me, the confidant doesn't necessarily 
change my view, my direction, my opinion, or anything else. It's just that a simple confidant. So what you're saying, I kind of it's unadulterated, honest feedback. That's that, and that's all that it is. Right, right. It I, does not. And mean that's why that's why that, I'm like I was kind of real real. I, I totally agree that you need it. So I, I wouldn't say that yeah. it's not, but I don't think you have to listen to it every time. Right. So I need it because it keeps a certain balance in the system. Right. And if I do start shooting off in a direction and it goes south, it's for me to own. So I'm going to stay. I still have to make my decision, but I do appreciate having that person that I can discuss this with and they can give me a different angle, what their opinion is, again, with nothing to gain and looking out for my best interest. Well, and we've only talked about that person saying this isn't a good idea. There's plenty of times that person says, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Do that. You know, and that might be what you needed at that moment. How many of those have you had, Hatch? <laughs> a lot more tell me not to do something than to tell me to do something alright so let's back away from the leadership uh, perspective of this movie for just a second as we kind of wrap this up and look at this from a fire service look at the movie Moneyball from a fire service perspective there's a near the end of the movie uh, after they have lost the uh, well, I don't, I'm not a baseball person what are they losing the the Division playoffs to go to the World Series. So they lose, and uh, they start, there's a, uh, they play the audio from a sportscaster, our commentator, talking about the team. And he says, What the Minnesota Twins expose is the fact that the Oakland A's were fundamentally not a sound baseball team. I mean, they had a flawed concept that started with the general manager and the brain trust over there thinking they could reinvent baseball. You can't approach baseball from a statistical bean counting point of view. It's one on the field with fundamental play. You have to steal, you have to bunt, you have to sacrifice. You gotta get men in scoring position and then you gotta bring them in. And you don't do that with a bunch of statistical gimmicks. Nobody reinvents this game. It's a very romantic view of baseball. And how does that compare to what we would call a romantic view of firefighting and the firefighters in in the profession now that are resistant to UL studies or resistant to data being more prominent in how we conduct business? I was going to echo exactly what Shane said. We're going through it in the fire service right now with those studies, the science and the statistics uh, the science on firefighting, the statistics on how we do it and, and all that kind of stuff. And we can't just pick one or the other. I don't like that comment that he made. I really look at it and go, put them both together and you got a winning thing. And I think they're both aspects. You Which just don't exactly dis- what has happened. Yeah, you don't discard right. hundreds of years of firefighting because all of a sudden there's statistical studies and science that says no, you this. marry the two. You marry it together. And that's what makes the, the the winning recipe. And I think that's what people get confused right in the fire service would be, well, if I agree with this, I have to dis- disagree with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. No, that's not the case. That right now. Yeah. Either with us or against us. There yeah, is and I no don't think that's the case at all. That's not true. Yeah, well, the, it, it goes, there's, a, uh, there's an exercise that we do with, with some of our officers in, in our department where we, we play the... Uh, there's some audio of somebody speaking at a conference where they basically said, screw safety, you know. And the exercise, when we do it the way we do it, tends to expose to the student that 
you know, don't don't swing all the way to that side where screw safety, and don't go the other way where it's all you know we are only safe and we're not going to do anything to put our firefighters in jeopardy. It's like you said, there's a it's a marrying of the two. You have to find that that piece where both things are taken into consideration. I agree. Hatch? Yeah, I agree too. I mean, it, it definitely is the marrying of the, the two. There is no either or, you know, but I watch a lot of people, a lot of guys, you know, want to fight the fires of yesteryear. You know, the, the ones that they've heard, the, the guys that are retiring or the retirees, right. oh, you guys used to get to do this and you kicked in doors and all that stuff. But you know what? We got halligans. It wasn't smart that we kicked in doors. We just didn't know, you know, what right. to do with irons and, and stuff. We teach classes on it. We build simulators for it now. You know, there's a lot better classes now that we have. Uh, to do the things that we do, we just didn't know back then what we didn't know. And, and now that we're doing statistical analysis and doing things with NIST studies and we have the technology to look at things, we fight it so often uh, that if, what could we do if we just embraced it? You know, how, right. how much better could we be if we just embraced it and, and stopped fighting it and resisting it? Why Nobody's- do you think it's, it's being fought when you say... Yeah, we're not fighting the, the fires of yesterday. Hey, you have all this information that comes forward. And why do you think there's so much resistance? Besides what we hear all the time, which is, well, they're just resisting change. So the movie, they're, I think they're resisting almost a theology. Like you're saying, it's so romantic. It's, it's, this is what we do. Why do you think we get so much resistance? Even if in the back of people's mind, they have a clear understanding of, there may be some truth to this. Where, why is it so much resistance to accept the fact that they're both valuable? Well, because you people to want to be a part other. of groups. That's why I think it's tough to stand out on your own. You know, it's easy to be with a group and stay with that group mentality and not and just avoid change altogether. I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, just human behavior drives a lot of that. Mm-hmm. I think it changes why uh, they think it changes why they get on the fire service when we talk about you know let's take the NIST stuff you know hit it yard from the yard type of things they want to go in they want to challenge some stuff they want to be able to be the, the focal point of the story for the next generation you know they want to be the hero of, of this this tale but the whole thing is the environment's changed it's not the same way it's going to flash over sooner on you it's not going to you can't do the same things we can't go back and do what they did and so people want that. They want to test themselves. Nobody thinks that they're going to be the one that's going to be the focus of a line of duty death or in this study or something of that nature. But we have them year after year after year after year. We know that. We know we're going to have about somewhere around 100 every year. And it's going to probably going to get worse if we don't change the environment, don't change the way we do things. Yeah, I think that we're, like you said, Shane, there's no question that we're going through it. And if we really look at the fire service right now, we're going through it in in a multitude of ways like we know now uh, through statistics and research that cancer is a huge deal but yet there's although nobody's necessarily uh, stepping up and saying that's not true there's still a great deal of resistance to take the effort forward to try to prevent that cancer and to go you know, whether it's washing your gear, wiping uh, yourself down with some wipes after a fire, deconning, at, whatever the, those, all those things that have come to light. It's not like anybody's standing up and saying it's all bull crap, but there's still a huge resistance when you go, well, why aren't we doing it? it why are, if we have 
recognize that it's an issue and they brought it in this study the cancer it continues to be it's such a resistance force sometimes i think or in my opinion that's like the movie where that gm and you were saying edge you have to break through the wall because in your mind you know that this is so true such a valid point you're so passionate behind it that you almost got to bloody yourself to make it happen even when the others don't. So one of the examples I recently used on a fire ground, and I went and I gave everybody after a structure fire some wipes to wipe themselves down, and somebody made a smart comment out of him. They were just joking. And I said, you know, if I jumped in front of a bus right now, purposely to get hit by that bus, would you push me out of the way? Yep. Okay, that's what I'm doing for you right now. <laughs> Why is it so difficult for us to just take some of these, what I would consider to be a common sense transition we have to transition past this we have to get over every structure fires go straight blazing in is it the culture that keeps us from doing it yeah i think so i think it's absolutely the culture it takes a long time to turn turn that turn that around that's a that's a machine by itself and again you get to start leaning on human nature for a lot of this stuff <clears throat> i don't say this bad because i'm this person People are inherently lazy sometimes. They just don't want to do it, period. Whether it's the thought behind it or whatever the case may be. And, I, and I'm not pointing fingers. That's me. I'm, I, I can be lazy. So that could, you know, it's all those factors. Well, so to me, that GM, at his level where he's at, he forced a hand. The statistics were written. He made it happen. By all sacrifice. He sacrificed himself to make it happen. Yeah, and you see departments do the same thing. They force the hand by changing the policies, you know, let's say, you know, do an overhaul in SCBAs. You know, you're forcing their hand. All right, you're not going to change willingly. I'm going to make you change. I'm not going to give you a choice. I mean, there are there are departments that do it. I mean, that do force this hand. And, and the guys revolt, you know, until, you know, because how do you prove somebody, you know, Shane was saved because he didn't get cancer. There's no way to right, quantify right, that. Right. You know, and it's, so the success can't be seen. It's only the failures that get to be seen, and it, it's a it's a weird dynamic. But nobody wants to be that guy, the, the the one who you know has the line of duty death or has cancer or something like that. And, you know, we constantly uh, see fundraisers and stuff. You know, which I, I think is great and it's great community stuff. But what are we doing to protect ourselves? What are we doing to eliminate that threat to ourselves? You're right. We, as a culture, we we do some of the least safe things you ever thought of. Well, I'm hoping that with the change in paradigms and you can call it the millennials or whatever's taking place, but we know that there's a great deal of statistics and research and science that has been brought into fire that as we move forward, you get some more players in there that are willing to look at that research and those statistics to change tomorrow, even against the resistance, because it is going to be a lonely place for those leaders. It is right now for some of the ones that are trying to make that change. But history will write that they're the ones that, you know, maybe had the huge impact on dropping our line of duty deaths. We don't find that out till tomorrow, but we got to be willing to do it today. I mean, you talk about, you know, stuff, and I joke about this all the time, but, you know, we're talking about cancer initiatives, things going to save people's lives. You know, some departments struggle getting people to wear their top shirt. You know, yeah, so you, right. you, you're talking about something that's so simple to do. You just wear your uniform. I can get. Uh, you know, a minimum wage, you know, burger restaurant guy to wear the uniform for eight hours for minimum wage, but I can't get a 15-year firefighter to wear it for five minutes. 
you know, that concept, you know, so why can't they focus on more important things like cancer, like you, you staying alive? We do focus on it and we can't get you to do that either. And I'm not saying everybody, I mean, but there is a lot of resistance to it or, you know, not going into cooling an environment, a fire environment down before you go in so it doesn't flash on you. These are not things to do to say that you're not a fireman anymore. It's things to do to make sure that you're still a fireman tomorrow and the next day. Right. Yep. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed uh, listening to us talk about a movie. Uh, Anybody want to say anything before we wrap it up? We're going to tidbits advice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, my advice? Well, yeah, you're going to have to start that. Okay, okay. okay. So we kind of talked about uh, we'd give uh, maybe a a piece of advice or uh, a leadership uh, perspective. So my thing was is that I think a lot of leaders have a hard time when they have to sit down and have uh, a dialogue or discipline with individuals. And something I found that worked well, it sounds weird, though, is to do it, especially if you're a station officer, um, have that sit-down meeting at the end of the day. You know, after dinner, maybe not right before uh, you go to sleep, but if you do it first thing in the morning when a lot of people try to handle these things, you have to interact with that individual all day long and it causes a lot of friction and a lot of bad feelings, Uh, especially if you're working on a shift. If you have it at the end of the day, you can go to sleep shortly, they can go to sleep, and then they have two days to reflect on it for them to carry anger into the next two days. Uh, I think it's a difficult thing to do. Uh, It's worked well for me. You know, it seems maybe like a cheap shot, but it's really about trying to de-escalate a situation. You but gave you me that advice, I think, about seven years ago. I'll never forget it. I've used it multiple times. Never failed me. Always waited to the uh, end, towards the end of the shift, evening, to handle any business like that. I've never forgotten it. It's been about seven years and has never failed me. Great advice. So I have one success story. <laughs> <laughs> Shane? Um, gosh, I just hope we could just end with you, Hatch. I, I think for me, and I may mess this up, but I'm just going to tell you, I, I had I spent a lot of time thinking about getting along, period. And I, you guys have probably heard me say this. I feel like I get along well with most people, all people, and it's simply because I choose to get along. And that's that's it. I, I just choose to get along. If at some point you see me not getting along with anybody, it's because at some time, some point during that relationship, I've chosen not to get along anymore. For whatever reason. I don't know why. But the, I say that because a lot of what we bring on ourselves is our own doings. That conflict and that angst is because I chose to hang on to it one way or the other instead of maybe looking right down to the core of it. Does it really even matter? So I'm gonna, I'm, I choose to go along. I'm going to leave it at that. Troj? I'd say it's simple, but I just try to do the right thing. Just can I live with this? Is this the right moral thing? And sometimes I think it'll fall into that category if it's going to be a lonely place uh, to be. But if I truly feel this is the right thing to do, then I'm going to move forward with it. And that's usually what my, how I'm going to make my decision. Is it the that's right thing to do? It's tougher than it sounds. It is, right. It sounds simple. It does It sound sounds simple. simple. It's a tough thing, but it's just that. But you can live with the right decision. I can live with the right decision. I can sleep uh, easy at night knowing I made the right decision. Yeah. It, it, you may be unemployed, but you can live with it. <laughs> 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 
you know what? There's, <laughs> There's you're that. right. Yeah. You're right. There's consequences to oh, yeah. doing the right thing. Yep. Uh, I tend to rely on quotes too much, but it's only because people can express their thoughts a lot better than I can. So this one is from Colin Powell. He says, and this is something that I try and remind myself of constantly uh, because of the the leadership aspect of it and that I get frustrated sometimes. Um, but he says, leadership is solving problems. The day soldiers stop bringing you their problems is the day that you have stopped leading them. They have either lost confidence that you can help or concluded that you do not care. Either case is a failure of leadership. And when people bring me problems and I, my first reaction is to go, are you kidding me? You can't solve this yourself. You know, and it's so simple or it's not, you know, it's that I have to remind myself of that quote to, to say, no, they can't solve it by themselves. They brought it to you, you know, and maybe they weren't right to do it, but they did. So either you're going to help them or you're not. And the leadership thing to do is to help them. Now, that's not to say that, you know, I haven't sat down with a, a station officer that brought me something and talked them through over about 15. It was one specific example, and I'm not going to bring up names or the example, but over about a 15-minute period, coaxed this person into realizing that what he was asking was not something for my level to fix. It was something for his level to fix. And I was more than happy to do it for him, but that I really thought it was going to be better if he fixed it. And by the end of it, he felt good about it, and he wanted to go back and fix it, you know. So I'm not saying just blindly accepting everything that that, uh, comes to you, Um, but to be that leader and realize that they're coming to you because they, they either can't do it themselves or they think that you care about their problems. And when you stop, when you just go, you know what, I'm not even going to deal with that stupid shit. You have just undercut everything that that person trusted. I think sometimes they bring you a problem to show you their trust too. You know, it's not just to solve it. Sometimes sure. they're coming to you just, this is how I'm going to connect with you and show you that I trust you is to bring you this problem and see if you can help me through it. Sure. No, absolutely. All right. Well, I think that is it. Uh, we encourage you to watch Moneyball. Uh, we all watched it once again just for this episode. And uh, if you watch it with those lenses, uh, you know, with the perspective that it's a leadership film, uh, I think there's probably some more uh, some more lessons in there that we didn't even touch on. So if you want, uh, send us those. We like hearing from you. You can find us on iTunes or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Our website is a great place to listen to the current episode or find all of our archived episodes. We also have a reading list on there with books that we've been reading and, more importantly, why we think you should read them. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and at CombustibleThePodcast.com. Comments and questions can be sent to info at CombustibleThePodcast.com. We can also be reached on Twitter at uh, at HatchCTP, at Troche, T-R-O-C-H-E-C-T-P, at A-Shane-C-T-P, and at BillCTP. Thanks again for listening. Please take a moment to like us on iTunes if you enjoy our podcast.